Amber Alert for a little girl in Saskatchewan has been expanded into... We were sitting outside, we heard him shooting. He's now facing 15 charges. In eight of Canada's 13 provinces and territories, crime is up. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Shelley. And welcome to another episode of True North Crime. Yes, where we discuss crime in Canada and sometimes the law, depressing statistics, and odd laws at the same time. Indeed. How mm-hmm. are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and happy birthday coming oh, up. Oh, thank you. Yay. Another trip around the sun for the earth and you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, your gift is in the mail. Maybe we'll be interrupted in this pod. Oh, wouldn't that be exciting? I can open it on air. An mm-hmm. unboxing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll like the card that I send you. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> But in the meantime... Yeah, we've got murder to discuss. We do. I want to start off with real quick with something that happened this morning. There was a shooting mm-hmm. in downtown. I and heard about that. Yeah, and I work downtown. I'm not... I'm working from home today. I wasn't there when it happened. But it happened at like 7.30 in the morning. Oh, and early I, riser. I Yeah, right. I sign up or I have notifications on my work phone for... Um, emergencies related to the office building or work, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I didn't get the emergency notification about this until like 9.30. Oh, wow. (laughs) Someone was not on the ball. And the notification was like, oh, building shut down because of active shooter. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So I go online to look it up and the news is like, yeah, this happened at 7.30 in the morning and it is not an active shooter. It's just a guy shot some people and then ran away. So it's not like he was wandering around downtown firing off his gun. So it's like, I I appreciate the emergency notification system for work because it has benefited me in the past. Mm-hmm. I felt like they really kind of dropped the ball on this one. Yeah, and it is kind of important, especially when it comes to like active shooter to be, you know, on the ball. For yeah. That. Like, you want to give the most update and accurate information if there is an active shooter in your area. <laughs> because the, a couple of buildings are actually shut down. And the building I work in is right across the street from the ones that were shut down or like put on alert or whatever. And I'm like, well, why that building and not my building? I don't know. It's like, you know, well, a distance of 50 meters it separates the two. Maybe you should address this with your boss. I'm sure he'll have all the answers for me. Oh, I'm sure he will. <laughs> Anyway, that was my exciting morning, sitting at home, reading alerts on my phone. Lovely. Yeah. How about you? How was your morning? Uh, I went to a friend's house and fixed his thermostat and basically have just been doing work and trying to organize uh, a meeting that I have this afternoon later. Okay. Very exciting stuff. So, yeah, I know. It's, it's, my life is really not exciting. All I'm doing right now is skiing and working and working okay. and skiing. Well, I regret asking. Yeah. Yeah. Life is pretty dull. It is. Shall we talk about some murder? <laughs> yeah. Well, they say the Chinese uh, curse is may you live in interesting times. And this is definitely an interesting time that we're about to talk about. It certainly is. That we're about to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now, that makes sense. I know, but still, it seems a bit redundant that we're about to talk about it. Anyway, all right, sure, let's go. Okay, so today's topic is the Edmonton serial killer. Mm -hmm. And before I begin, I just want to say it's actually kind of difficult to get an exact number of how many women might have been victims of the, air quotes, Edmonton serial killer. 
And as far as I can figure out, it breaks down like this. In June 2005, the CBC reported that the bodies of 20 women had been found since 1983. In August 2015, the Toronto Sun wrote that 30 sex workers had been found since 1973. I should say the bodies of 30 sex workers. Sorry, right. since 1975. Okay, so our numbers keep changing. Mm -hmm. In the book Cold North Killers, Canadian Serial Murder by Lee Mellor, which was published in 2012, he writes that the bodies of 24 sex workers had been found since 1983. Right. And in 2016, the Globe and Mail identified 49 murders since 1986 in which female victims were found outdoors. And then they go on to state that 49 is not representative of the larger number of murdered women in Edmonton during that time frame. Right. Is there like an MO and that's why they're grouping all of these in together? Or are these just general statistics? Or is this like the work of one? Well, here's the thing. So for the, the, the murdered women in Edmonton who might be victims of the serial killer, it's specific to bodies that have been found around Edmonton and outdoors. Okay. So that's sort of I get how they're kind of grouping these okay. victims in terms of like potential uh, serial murder victims. Right. But that's just to state the numbers change depending on who you're reading and when you're reading it. Okay. Okay. So the point is Edmonton had a huge problem on its hands. Wasn't it the murder capital of Canada at one point? Uh, I thought that was London. No, London, London was a serial killer capital. Yes. 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 The murder? Oh, it might have been. I don't know, actually. Something to look up. All right. All right. Go on. But since the mid to late 1980s, Edmonton sex workers knew they were being preyed upon by a killer. Bodies were turning up in fields outside the city, but it seemed like nobody really cared because what's one more dead hooker, right? Mm -hmm. Add to that the fact that a lot of these women were aboriginal in... You know, you get the idea. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, the idea for our listeners is basically that if they're your Aboriginal, the chances of anybody looking into your murder is significantly lower, unfortunately. Yes. Tragic, tragically, really. Yes. And it's still a problem that continues today. Yes. But we're not going to get into that. That's a whole other eight-part series. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, officially, Edmonton's High Risk Persons Project was created in response to the growing number of bodies found in rural areas. Unofficially, it was a response to the fallout from the Robert Picton murders. Right. And he was arrested in 2002 and convicted in 2007, just to, yes. to remind everybody. And he used to pick up prostitutes as well and then murder them and feed, feed them, them to his pigs. pigs. Yes. <laughs> there are a ton of podcasts about Picton. I encourage you to pick anyone you want. They're all good. Uh, and you can learn more about Robert Picton if you're interested and don't know who he is. All right. So nine bodies had been found since 1988, and the High Risk Persons Project was established in 2002 to investigate the murders and to address the safety at Edmonton sex workers. Mm -hmm. In 2003, the High Risk Persons Project became Project CARE, spelled K-A-R-E, I do not know what that stands for, so please don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> and they established a DNA database. In 2004, CARE started collecting hair samples from sex workers, as well as vital information like address and next of kin. Right. This, I should 
hair samples from living sex workers. The DNA yeah. database was for the dead. And now they're collecting information from the living. CARE launched a website in 2005, which included a tip line and a discussion board. And more officers were added to the CARE team. That same year, the discussion board was shut down. Why? Because officers felt they were spending too much time mediating and not enough time investigating. Oh, I can see. So, like, some trolls are probably sitting there going, like, why are we looking up these whores? Like, that type of stuff. and Like, all kinds of bullshit. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and just... You know, if you're looking for actual viable tips, you got to sort through all this crap to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also in 2005, a second crown prosecutor was added. So Project Care already had one prosecutor. They added another one. Mm-hmm. 2005 was also the year the RCMP admitted that a serial killer was, in fact, preying on sex workers in Edmonton. Up until then, the police would only say they believed the same person was responsible for, quote, more than one, end quote, of the deaths. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. More than one, less than three, because that's what it takes. (laughs) Right. At a press conference held on June 17, this 2005, Constable Tamara Bellamy said police believe the same person is responsible for the murders of 12 women beginning in 1988. But whispers of a serial killer have been circulating since 1987, when the remains of three different women were found within days of each other. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the police just really don't want to say out loud that they have potentially a serial serial killer. killer, yeah. Yeah. So, more on that point. In her statement, Constable Bellamy called the killer a serial offender. Shying away from sensationalizing the murder by labeling him a serial killer. Right. Because a a killer is an offender, technically. I guess they're right. Yeah. However, maybe a little bit too much of a general label on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm quoting Constable Bellamy now. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily use the terminology serial killer because it seems to be terminology that is sensationalized by the media, by movies. The person responsible for these homicides is going to be somebody's neighbor. He may be somebody's brother. He will likely not look like the monster we see in the movies. So well, that's typical. Thanks. I don't know yeah. what movies she was watching, but even in 2005, everybody knew that serial killers just looked like perfectly normal people. I don't. I don't know. I think that a lot of the times people still they don't do the research that we do in our <laughs> serial killers. To be fair, and a lot of the times they are like the spooky people in the night. You know. They're the guys who are going to come out of nowhere, deranged, with crazy yeah. hair, attacking you with a knife in an alley. It's but I just... think even in 2005, people knew that, like, you know, the sort of crazy lunatic with wild eyes lurking in the shadows isn't really... I don't, think you, I don't think you can make that assumption. Really? 2005? Yeah, no, I think that people are somewhat uninformed in that regard. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> the RCMP's behavioral science branch released a profile of the killer. He, because it's most likely a man... Mm. drives a reliable high-mileage truck, van, or SUV, and is comfortable driving in rural areas, likes to hunt, fish, camp, or participate in outdoor activities, has a so past... like half of Elmer Right, Elmer. anybody. <laughs> has a past or present connection to the area south of Edmonton, including Leduc, Camrose, and New Sparta, and may clean his car at odd times of the day. Yeah, so fucking anyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, right. RCMP. How many calls did they get in on that one? <laughs> in addition to admitting, <clears throat> excuse me, 
In addition to admitting they believed they were looking for a serial killer or offender, the police also announced a reward of $100,000 for information leading to the killer's arrest. Now, despite its good intentions, Project CARE had or has solved very few cases. Part of the problem is the time between a woman's disappearance and the discovery of her remains. Mm -hmm. For example, Deanna Bellrose was last seen in September 2002, and her remains were found in May 2012. Dolores Brower went missing in May 2004 and wasn't found until 2015. And then we have Renee Gunning and Crystal Knott, who disappeared while hitchhiking in BC in 2005, and their skulls, and only their skulls, hmm. were found 60 kilometers south of Grand Prairie in 2011. Oh. Wow. And for reference, for people who aren't up on their <laughs> Canadian Ge geography. Ge rural Alberta geography. <laughs> Edmonton whatever, yeah. and Grand Prairie are about five hours away from each other. Hmm. So it's like around 460 kilometers. It's wow. a really long way. Hmm. Another problem frustrating the police is where these bodies are actually found. Uh, many of the women were found in close-ish proximity to one another, albeit at different points in time. Mm -hmm. And once an area becomes known as a dumping ground, it can attract other people who are looking to get rid of a body. And this is actually a common occurrence in other areas. For example, and now we're really getting into, like, my bailiwick here, there are what's called watercraft abandonment sites. Hmm. And it's places where pre people purposefully leave their boats, and then an assemblage of old boats just builds up over time. So what are they, I guess it's like a junkyard for boats? Kind of, yeah. So one person is like, this boat doesn't work anymore. I'm just going to leave it here on this riverbank. Mm -hmm. And then someone else is like, oh, it looks like someone ditched their old boat there. Well, you know what? I need to ditch a boat, so I'm going to ditch it next door. So, right. And then just over time, people just start dumping their boats along this one riverbank. And right. so you get this watercraft abandonment site. And so the same thing is happening with these bodies. Somebody dumps a body in the woods. Someone else comes along and it's like, well, I got my own body I need to get rid of. Somebody already dumped a body here, and I haven't heard anything about it. So I'm going to dump my body here, too. Wow, that's really creepy. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, oh, oh, it's just like, oh. It's all, well, I have a terrible example for you. Oh, great. Connie Grandinetti was shot to death, and her body was dumped in a ditch south of Fort Saskatchewan in 1997. Just a little side note Fort Saskatchewan, despite its name, is in Alberta, mm. and it's northeast of Edmonton. Right. This area was a known dumping ground. Remains had been found there earlier that same year, and those murders were unsolved. So Connie's killer, who actually turned out to be her nephew, left her body near where these other women had been found, hoping that her murder would be linked with theirs, and that case would go cold. Oh, fun. Right? So plan that one out. Yeah. I don't know if he planned on killing her, but he definitely knew what he was going to do with her body afterwards. Yeah. Police identified three separate killing or dumping grounds around Edmonton because so much time passes between the women going missing and their remains being discovered. Yeah. It's possible that maybe they were even killed where the bodies were found. It's just it's so hard to know because some of these bodies are in such a state that 
they don't yeah, actually know how the, they the died. decomposition would happen also. I'm imagining animals and shit would get out. All kinds too. of stuff, yeah. Yeah, so like you can't relate to, you know, the position of the body or if they've been moved. Or, or you what can't even tell how they died yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so these are like all kinds of problems plaguing the police. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Project Care uh, was, and still is, in fact, fighting an uphill battle. But their low clearance rate leaves one to wonder, what the hell is going on in Edmonton? And in 2015, the bodies of four women were found near Leduc, and a fifth was found in Kalmar, which is about 50 kilometers southwest of Edmonton. So, like, even five years ago, bodies were still turning up. Oh. Yeah. Do they not just have, like, you think that they would... I don't know, like have remote like wilderness cameras set up around these points to like catch people. <laughs> right, like, like hunters can, set up. Yeah, for exactly. Game. Like you yeah. can do it for deer. Why, like, not why do can't it you do it for, for criminals? Killers? If you kind of like, yeah, like just be like, there's a whole bunch of bodies here, or let's place a whole bunch of what look like bodies, mm-hmm. and then set up a camera so that we can catch some of these fuckers. Maybe that's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like they don't have to be actual bodies. They just have to be things that look like bodies. Yeah. And then just put them in a ditch somewhere. And then at least, you know, like if someone's going to kill someone, at least you might be able to catch them after the fact. Right. Well, again, if you know this is a dumping ground, because as I said, the police have identified three separate dumping grounds. Yeah. Set exactly. up your like, game what? cameras. Yeah. It's like just, I'm sure you have an extra sitting around your house. Like, come on. <laughs> at least something. Think it through. Uh, where was I? Okay, as I mentioned, yes, Project Care took down their website in 2005. It relaunched in 2008 and included the last known whereabouts and detailed descriptions of missing people, as well as facts about remains which had been found but had yet to be identified. Care's DNA database had over 500 registrants, and the team was looking to start collecting info from sex workers across the province. So they're expanding their mandate. Um. Also, back in 2005, a reward was posted for information, as I said, leading to the conviction of the killer. It was actually paid out in 2011. But because the police can't avoid controversy, the reward was paid before the accused, a man named Thomas Svekla, who I'll talk about in a minute, was convicted. And at the time the reward was posted, the police were investigating 10 murders of sex workers going back to 1998. Right. So there'll be a test later and all these numbers I'm throwing at you. Well, I can tell you that I'll fail immediately. I'm terrible with this stuff. I can't even remember my own birthday. Come on. I'm the one who put this together and I don't even know. (laughs) In 2007, specialized victim services were established under the name Care Victim Services. And in 2015, the database expanded to more than 1,400 names. Mm -hmm. And by, I think it was 2017... CARE had a caseload of 79 murders being investigated by 32 officers, and it was looking to expand its mandate to help at-risk youth throughout mm-hmm. Alberta. So not just sex workers now, but uh, younger people. Right. So I'm not suggesting the cops are doing a bad job investigating all of these murders. No, I mean, it's incredibly difficult because there's Absolutely. nothing really to go on. Yeah. It's not like it's kind of people... That society disregarded to begin with. And people also that are doing high-risk jobs that they don't want to be seen doing. And then the disappearance of people who would otherwise maybe also sometimes disappear for a couple days. Like, you just... Yeah, that's hard. Just it is. And it's... also people, like, people don't necessarily... Again, the, the timeliness of it, like, that just... Yeah, that would mm. be hard to investigate. That's for sure. Yeah, because there's also, I think, a lot of mistrust or distrust as well. 
among sex workers regarding the police and police involvement or in action or inaction regarding disappearing sex workers. So it's a really, it's a very complicated situation. Right. Uh, but the, the fact remains the caseload is enormous. And also for a long time, sex workers were considered to be of lesser importance. Wow. So maybe they weren't getting the kinds of resources that other people who had been murdered might have been getting for their investigations. Anyway, um, the, the point is Project Care's clearance is really low. And as far as I've been able to find out, only one person has been convicted of more than one murder. Oh. Like for the, the Edmonton serial killer victims. That's in air quotes. Right. That person is Joseph Laboukan. So Joseph Laboukan lived in Fort St. John, BC, but traveled regularly to Edmonton. And it's about a seven hour drive. Right. In Edmonton, he hung out at the West Edmonton Mall where he fell in with a bunch of mall rats. At the end of March 2005, Labacan went to Edmonton with three friends. There they met his mall rat buddies, and the BC friends didn't like them at all, later describing the mall rat as sketchy and weird. Okay. And after a few days hanging out, the BC friends returned home, but Labacan stayed in Edmonton. On April 2nd, Labacan said he wanted to kill somebody. Lovely. Yep, just announced that to oh. his group. And the next day, he lured 13-year-old Nina Quirtpat and a friend of hers away from the mall. Uh, it was They were promised a party. Like Labacan, Nina was a mall rat. And while the two of them didn't really hang out, they just knew each other from the mall. Right. And so, so probably, it was someone she associated. So exactly, someone she knew. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So not hard for him to convince her to leave the mall with him and yeah. his friends. Uh, so Nina and her friend left the mall with Lebican and some other people, Stephanie Bird, Michael Williams, Michael Briscoe, and a girl who's only known as Buffy. Labacan told Nina they were going to a party, as I said, but when they pulled up to a golf course, Nina wondered aloud where the party was. And that's when the group started talking about rituals and killing. And from what I understand, Stephanie Bird was handed a wrench and she struck Nina with it. They dragged, eventually like got her out of the car at some point. Um, Nina was raped on the golf course, first by Labacan and then by Michael Williams while the others held her down. Uh, Labacan and Michael Williams hit Nina repeatedly with either a hammer or a mallet. It might have been a sledgehammer. Again, reading all this stuff, it sort of changes a little bit. And then Buffy stabbed her in the neck. They left her on the fourth fairway, and she was found on April 4th. That's awful. It's absolutely terrible. On either April 4 or April 5, Labacan called his friend Nicole Holzer in B.C., and told her that he'd witnessed a murder at a party. She phoned a family member who worked for the RCMP, and soon enough, Labacan was picked up for questioning about this murder that he says that he witnessed. When Labacan met with Constable Robert Kopp, he told him a story about being in a car with some of his gang associates and picking up two sex workers, one of whom was beaten. And since the story had nothing to anything to do with 
the cops with what cops are currently investigating. Yeah, really. That's weirdly suspicious. He was just sent on his way. So he, like, tells the cops some weird story about beating up a sex worker. And the cops are like, you know, what does this have to do? Exactly. And the price also of tea? Probably a, maybe a little bit of bias on behalf of this, the cops being like, we were here to investigate a party. And a sex worker isn't our, really our thing. Like, it, that could be a bias, too. Right. Or, like, maybe at the time, they didn't have any recently murdered sex workers. So just, like... The cops like, you know, I don't I don't care what you have to say. Just like get out of my face, essentially. So while Abacan is out doing whatever it is that scumbags like to do, the police were busy tracking down everyone who was involved in Nina's death. And each one of them said that Labacan was the ringleader and that he was to blame. Right. So on or around April 12, 2005. Labakan was charged with Nina's murder, and he was again interviewed by Constable Cop. And he again insisted that he'd witnessed the beating of a sex worker. He said he wasn't there when Nina was killed, and the police were conflating what happened to Nina with his story about the beating. But he eventually let slip that he knew everyone who was at that golf course, um, and then accused all of those people of plotting against him. Right. Oh, about an hour into his interview, Labakan just stopped talking. And Constable Cop left the room for a while, came back with a video message and a Bible from his friend Jackie Zimmerman. Now, Jackie's someone that Labakan had known from back home. Right. After receiving the message from Jackie and the Bible, I should also mention that Labakan, um, I think, was enamored with Jackie, but she didn't really return the feelings. Ah. Yeah, so that's why... Her, her motivation there exactly so her message in the bible it's like are important to the story and to him because this is a girl that was really important to him mm. so after receiving the message from jackie and the bible he broke down and confessed not to murder but to having been present when it happened nina's murder he said was not his idea at his trial labakan's accomplices all testified against him he liked to brag about being a serial killer, said he killed 189 people. Of course, nobody believed any of that crap. But Buffy, the woman who had stabbed Nina, said that he told her he liked to keep souvenirs or trophies, and he once showed her a woman's severed pinky, claiming it was from his last, or sorry, his latest victim. Oh. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's On, lovely. Yeah. On March. Hey, you know what? I really like you. Here's this severed pinky that I just, of this person I just murdered. Right. On March 23rd, 2007, Joseph Labacan was found guilty of the kidnapping, aggravated sexual assault, and first degree murder of Nina Corpat. He was registered as a sex offender. His DNA was added to Canada's criminal database. And when it was added, it matched to DNA found on the body of Ellie Mae Meyer. Ellie Mae Meyer was last seen on April 1st, 2005. So this is right around the time that Labakan murdered Nina. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, two days before Nina was raped and murdered. Um, But Ellie's body wasn't found until May 6th. She was discovered in a field outside Edmonton and was missing her left pinky. So Ellie was a sex worker who Labacan and his friends picked up and beat to death. 
At the trial for Ellie's murder, which was supposed to last six weeks, Labakan's lawyers said they wouldn't be calling any witnesses, nor would they counter any arguments made by the Crown. The Crown then said they weren't going to call any witnesses either, instead relying on testimony and transcripts from the preliminary hearing. Mm-hmm. And in, so in what has to be the record for the shortest murder trial ever, Labakan was found guilty in 46 minutes. Wow. Yes. This was a bench <laughs> trial, I should mention. Yeah. So there's no jury. It's just the judge. Yeah. Yeah. But still, 46 minutes. Yeah. That's pretty much like, so your honor, I, um, I didn't, you did. Okay. You're guilty. Right. Yeah. Done. Let's fill out the paperwork. That should yeah. take 40 minutes. Back to prison <laughs> with you. Yeah. So I should mention, of course, that Labakan's friends were also charged in both Nina and Ellie's murders. And Labakan was 19 when all of this went down. Wow. Yeah. So that's Joseph Labakan. He killed two out of dozens of women. He's obviously not a suspect in some of the older cases because mm-hmm. he's much too young. And nobody's yeah. really looking at him for more of these murders. Right. A much more likely suspect is Thomas Svekla. So in June 2004, Thomas Svekla contacted Edmonton police and told them he'd stumbled upon a woman's body outside the city. Okay. Why was he wandering around in the woods? He'd gone out there. Nope. He'd gone out there to freebase. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So I'm sure he's a reliable Source Do you want to explain what freebasing is for our non-drug-using listeners? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not much of a drug user. My understanding of freebasing is basically vaporizing the drugs and inhaling the smoke. Yes. I'm glad I didn't embarrass myself just then. <laughs> I'm terrible at that stuff, too. I mean, I have to look it up on Urban Dictionary all <laughs> the time. Terrible at freebasing. Or no, defining. No, not terrible at freebasing. <laughs> Terrible about defining these things. I'm terrible about the lingo. Really? Crank, crack, smack. Yeah, it's just, it's all. It's all the same to you. It's all drugs that will kill you. Yep. What is, Alex, what is drugs that will kill you for a thousand? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So Speckla's out freebasing in the woods, stumbles upon a body, decides to tell the cops about it, doing a civic duty. Right. While police recovered the body and the remains were later identified as Rachel Kinney, sorry, Rachel Quinney, 19-year-old sex worker, her body was so decomposed as to make it impossible to determine how she died. But it was clear that she had been mutilated. This is gross. Her breasts and her genitals were cut from her body. Oh. Yeah. Since Svekla's the one who tipped off the police, they naturally had a lot of questions for him. As well as for Jolene Ree. She was with him when he found Rachel's body. Mm -hmm. And Jolene was sure that she didn't see anything that night. Certainly no bodies in the woods. Police also spoke with Svekla's friends, and one of them said that Svekla had mentioned, just in passing, that he'd tripped over a corpse of a blonde prostitute. Oh, yeah, you just trip over those all the time. Right, yeah. you just, you know, bring it up when you're hanging out with your friends. Uh, so Rachel had dark hair. But Corey Ottenbright was blonde. 
She disappeared on May 9, and her remains wouldn't be found until April 2015. May 9, 2005, I should say. Or 2004, sorry. As the police continued to speak with Speckla's and Rachel's associates, they heard from a woman named Barb Card, who saw Rachel get into a truck driven by a man who looked like Svekla. And then Svekla's sister, Donna, said that she'd run into him that night, the night that he found Rachel's body, and he was crying and he had scratches all over his arms. Svekla told her that he'd, quote, done something terrible, end quote, but he didn't elaborate as to what. So this is all great circumstantial evidence, right? Yeah. But maybe not enough to charge him with anything. And mm-hmm. so Svekla carried on with his life as usual. Oh, lovely. Until one day in May 2006, when he showed up at his mother's house with a hockey bag. Oh, no. All right. Um, due to a bad home life growing up, Svekla and his mother didn't really have the best relationship. And it wasn't long before they started to fight. Svekla then phoned Sister Donna and asked her to come and get him. She did, and she brought him to her house. She lives in Fort Saskatchewan, which, as I said, is just outside of Edmonton. Yeah. So, at Donna's house in Fort Saskatchewan, she and her husband asked Svekla about this hockey bag that he was schlepping, Mm -hmm. and he said it was full of worms. $800 worth of composting worms. And he was transporting these worms from a breeder in High Level, which is a town in northern Alberta. Donna knew that he was lying. Right. Right? It's a weird story to tell to begin with. Never mind the fact that Svekla is super shady. Yeah. And nobody would entrust him with $800 worth of anything. Mm-hmm. Not even yeah. worms. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when Svekla wasn't around, Donna and her husband had a look inside the hockey bag. Oh, no. Yeah. Wrapped in garbage bags, an air mattress, and a shower curtain, and bound with twa- with wire, was the dismembered corpse of 36-year-old Teresa Innes. Oh. Can you imagine just, like, oh, what's in the looking bag? and saying, like, oh, what's in the bag? It's got to be something fucking shady. And then finding a, a body? body? Like, that is not where my mind would be like nope. do you know what i mean i'd be like maybe there's something gross in here maybe he's got some rando crap in here but you know oh. i would never expect a body yeah yeah Teresa was a former girlfriend of speckles uh sorry let me say that again Teresa was a former girlfriend and specla claimed he had found her body in his truck first he said uh that she was in the back, and then he said that she was in the cab. He told his sister that he was taking her home from high level to be with her family. When asked by police, he said he found the body in his truck already wrapped in the air mattress. Right. And he, so he but, just decided to cart it around. But he told his sister that he had wrapped up the body. Right. And that he wanted to get rid of the body because he was afraid he'd be blamed for her death. Right. He also told the police that he didn't know who this person was. Right. So, like, none of this. Not a good, not a good liar. It makes no sense. Oh, I found this random body in my truck. I don't know who it is. Do you think that maybe you know a lot of these guys like that are in this way, like maybe have some mental diminishment of some sort capacity? Yeah, like do you know what I mean? Like maybe 
maybe even like schizophrenic, like something, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not really sure the mental health terms on this one, but like something awry in that regard. No, I think he's just, he. I think he's just a bad liar. I think he's just a bad liar. He's making it up as he goes. He hasn't thought this through. And so can't keep track of what lie he's told to who. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just sort of like everything he says is it's kind of in the ballpark mm-hmm. but because he's talking to different people and telling different things he, I think he's just a I think he's just bad at this yeah okay yeah all right no I just wanted to throw it out there because it's possible right so yeah um okay so he had said that he was he was driving her from high level to Edmonton High level is 700 kilometers from Fort Saskatchewan. So it's a long way. It's a long drive. And Specla never gave a reason as to why he drove all of that way with a body in the truck. Right. Other than I want to bring her home. But you told the cops you don't know who she is. So come on, guy. Get your shit together. Mm -hmm. Specla was charged with Teresa's murder and eight months after that, he was finally charged with Rachel's murder. That's the body he found in the woods. Right. At the time, he was the only person to be charged by Project Care. In addition to the murders of Rachel and Teresa, Svekla was a suspect in six other deaths and two disappearances. Oh. Oh. Um, one of the murders was a woman named Monique Petrie, who Svekla admitted to picking up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also admitted to being capable of committing terrible crimes, but he never actually confessed to murder and insisted that he was being set up. Oh, lovely. Oh, mm-hmm. set up. Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. Don't know by who. Just being set up. In June 2008, he was found guilty of murdering Teresa, but he was acquitted of Rachel's murder because, according to the judge, there really wasn't any evidence linking him to the murder yeah technically if they just found that like they have to exactly yes so like it sucks and i think that he probably did kill her but that's just oh yeah that's like nothing to back that up we think you did this but there's according to the law you cannot be charged exactly um i don't know what happened with any of these other investigations and as far as i know he was never charged with anyone else's murder Speckla was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 17 years, but in 2010, he was determined to be a dangerous person and is now locked up indefinitely. Oh, good. He denies being a killer, but at the same time says he has special insight into the mind of a serial killer. Right. Okay. During his trial, he boasted to his sister, quote, I am like the Picton of Alberta, end quote. And That's exactly what you want to say. Right? He bragged about being locked up in a special unit for high-profile inmates. Quoting Svekla, they only keep 12 people up there. You have to be famous or well-known. People on the news. Yeah, so that's Thomas Svekla, a likely candidate for the Edmonton serial killer, if he does in fact exist. So just to wrap up, I wasn't able to find a complete list of the names of all the missing and murdered women who were and are being investigated by the by Project Care. Yeah. But of the names that I do have, Georgette Flint, Bernadette Linda Ahenica, Kara King, Kelly Don Riley, Edna Bernard, Monique Petrie, Melissa Munch, 
Debbie Darlene Lake, Katie Sylvia Ballantyne, Rachel Liz Quinney, Charlene Marie Gauld, Ellie Mae Meyer, Amber Takaro, Bonnie Joan Jack, Charlene Marie Gould, Samantha Taylene Berg, Dolores Dawn Brower, Corey Ottenbright, Nina Corpat, and Deanna Bellrose. That's so sad. Well, I have some depressing statistics for you. Let's hear them. Uh, okay, so 10% to 33% of all prostitutes have been estimated to work outside, and therefore they're more visible to be picked up. Um, of course, like there are different uh, committees that determine these statistics. So one says 10 to 33, the other one says 5 to 20%. Jeez, that's a that's, that's a big difference, though. That's mm-hmm, a big range. Oh, trust me, these statistics are really general because it's very hard to keep track of these things. Right. So most sex workers are young women, age 22 to 25, who begin working when they're 16 to 20. So really, oh think goodness. it's 16 to 25 then. Good God. Yeah, and most, uh, and then the ones with children are 30 to 70%, which is just so broad, right? So, yeah. Uh, some field studies estimate that 62% of prostitutes in Vancouver, 50% in Toronto, and 69% in Montreal claim they worked for themselves, while the others were in the presence of pimps. And the presence of pimps is more exp- extensive in the Maritimes and the prairies. Really? Mm-hmm. Dr- Drug use has been fi- found to vary substantially, substantially by region and gender. And then, uh, you know, the problem is, is that you can't really take these statistics and for all of the studies that they've done, they can be so varied, they can be completely wrong. Like, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where, like, it's an estimate. But one thing yeah. I did find interesting is a poll from 1998, which is old. Yes, of course. <laughs> this is the latest one I could find. 7% of Canadian men have paid for sex at least once in their life. 7%? 7%. Wow. And that's much lower than the U.S., where uh, around the same time, 18% of men said Whoa. they had paid for sex. Oh, my goodness. And in 2004, 15%. 15? Wow. So, yeah, those are just some interesting stats for you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. That, I'm just curious as to know, I'm, I mean, I don't think anything will tell you this, why the prairies and the maritimes have a higher percentage of pimps than, I suppose, freelance sex workers well it might be because of the rural aspect of things like getting around these types of like you know you just don't know like it might yeah i just find that interesting yeah i don't know either it could be just like urbanization i don't know yeah because i would like the internet certainly liberated a lot of sex workers Mm -hmm. uh, to take control of their Their own own business business so to speak yeah i don't know i have no idea yeah interesting do you have a crazy crime for us? I do have a cra- lightning let's mood. Let's the road a little bit, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's do. Okay, so this happened in Abbotsford, British Columbia, I think in 2016, maybe? I don't know. It doesn't matter. So <laughs> this guy gets tanked. It gets in his car, goes for a drive, but then decides to pull over because there are, like, lots of cops on the road. So... <laughs> He jumps out of his car and jumps into what he thinks is a taxi cab and says, get me out of here. Cops are everywhere tonight. It wasn't a taxi cab. It was a cop car. So the the officer's like, you got it, buddy. And then drove him directly to the police station. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) So, yeah, there you go. That's good. (laughs) 
You know, that's one of those ones your buddies would never let you live down no matter oh, what. Oh, God, no. Hey, at least he made the choice at that point. I mean, due to all the cops, unfortunately, but to get a ride home. <laughs> and yes, and eventually he made the right decision. But for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> the wrong reasons. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Rachel, do you like to take a bath? I Well, actually, I was going to say, yes, I do. I don't know the last time I took a bath. They are relaxing, though. Mm-hmm. Have you ever taken a bath in Etobicoke, Ontario? <laughs> I can't say that I have. Because there's a local bylaw for your own safety that you should not fill your bathtub with more than three and a half inches of water. What? what? <laughs> How are you going to bathe in three and a half inches of water? I don't know. Who's going to enforce that? It's not really my question. Bathtub, please. <laughs> right. Checking. Checking your water levels. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, I'm naked. Uh, we got to check this for your own safety. <laughs> oh, my God. Do they have a lot of bathtub drownings in Etobicoke? I have no idea. No idea. But the- it's, a local, it's a local bylaw. <laughs> On the topic of Etobicoke, mm-hmm. uh, I watched this documentary uh, over the holidays with a friend of mine. And it's about Luca Magnata. And they interview this woman. She's largely the subject of this documentary. And she talks about Etobicoke for reasons I'm not going to get into, but keeps pronouncing it as Etobicoke. Etobicoke? Oh, no. (laughs) Over and over again. And it's so distracting that you have a hard time listening to what she's actually saying about Etobicoke and what's going on in Etobicoke. I've mangled a lot of names in a lot of places in my time, to be fair. Like, I don't blame her. It's not the easiest one, No, it's not. And it looks like a Toba Coke. Yes. But, yeah. Edipico. So, yeah, if you're going to bath, maybe don't do it in (laughs) Edipico. There you go. Or at least bath safely. Yeah. Yes. Safe bathing. Bathe with a friend. Yeah. You can look out for each other. Yeah, if you're with a friend, it will just rise the water levels to be comfortable. <laughs> Displacing your three and a half inches of water. Yeah. Eureka! Oh my god. Did you get that reference? No. Never mind. Yeah, he was in the bath? Yes. <laughs> I got it. I'm not as dumb as you think I am. I don't know. Sometimes you're pretty dumb. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Can't deny that. Anyway. On that so that's, note. That's all I got. <laughs> Uh, me too. So I'll end it there. Happy New Year to everyone out there. Uh, and until next time, I've been Rachel. And I've been Shelly. And stay safe out there. Yeah, bathe safely. <laughs> <laughs>